The 12 Days of Restless. Day 9. And now for something really, really Presbyterian. Pastor Michael, we are here. We are going to do something that should be right up your, uh, right in your, right in the, right down the lane, right into your interest. We are going to do something really Presbyterian today. Here we go. Although, honestly, let's be honest. I'm not the most Presbyterian Presbyterian. I love Presbyterianism. I really do. Like, I, I've come to, uh, you know, a convicted love of Presbyterianism. But I don't think that... I. What I'm saying is I think there are people that listen to Restless and or who maybe don't listen to Restless anymore who would consider uh, us not the most Presbyterian. But that's that's OK. Well, that's without a doubt the case, as we are not from the South, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. We're not from the South. We also are not, uh, you know, just singing the Psalms. We are uh, we enjoy Christmas, believe it or not. Wow. How could you? But you know what? I, you know what I know. Every, every, even the most Presbyterian Presbyterian would enjoy. They would enjoy the Deacon of God, Pastor Michael. That's right. You would love this, even if you're not Presbyterian. You would love this book, which almost none of you are. It seems like you know, <laughs> likely. Right. Uh, and so we get it. We we love it. This is not just for Presbyterians. This is for every Christian. We think every Christian should buy this book and That's make right. a, and make us absolutely rich. <laughs> And, and then I will do daily restless podcasts forever. I promise. We, we want 2 billion sales, people. Yep. Yep. We, we want this everywhere. So the Deacon of God is an ebook. We'll link to it. Uh, you can go look it up. But uh, we just edited together the Reformed Confessions and Catechisms on, on uh, what they say about the civil government and the role of a Christian with civil government. We just know that this is a conversation that comes up a lot and we've gotten into a lot. And so uh, because it's just out there, we thought, you know, we should do something productive and helpful about it. Uh, and so we took these things, we edited them together, we we tried to uh, include some helpful uh, discussion questions that can be used for you and personal study or for uh, you in a group. And uh, hopefully this can kind of add a voice in a sense into uh, the the current uh, you know issues of our day. It's only two ninety nine. It is uh, it is very very inexpensive. So go out, get yourself one, buy one for a friend, offer to buy one for the other two billion people on the planet right. if you are elon musk and if, elon musk if you want to buy that many we'll even give you one for free just to check it out first if you're speaking at passion you could order a license for every single of the sixty thousand attendees there we would love great. it come on so now that we've gotten out of the part of this show that is is for everyone we're going to talk something a little bit we're going to have a conversation because i've been interested in having this with pastor michael and i figured let's record it and so if you're not Presbyterian, this might not be the most interesting to you, though we're going to talk about it on a, uh, we'll call it a fairly surface level. We're not going to dive into the really particularly Presbyterian parts. And, but if you want us to, if this subject, you if you like it when we talk about church history things and modern application of them, that's something I always enjoy when we do, which is why we're doing this now, we can go into more detail. So please just let us know. Use the wonderful machine of the Bird website of Twitter. Let us know. Hey, no, I want to hear more about the board controversy of 1860 in the Presbyterian Church. Here we America. go, everybody. Are you bored? Well, you shouldn't be. Because <laughs> we are we are diving in. We are going to go hard at the Presbyterian, the old school Presbyterian Church. So, Pastor Michael, there are, I think, just two things, two conceptual things we I'm going to describe. And you can add in on, 
before I just describe the the state, how this debate kind of worked and why I want to hear what side you sound more sympathetic to, because I want a listener who is not in the in the weeds on Presbyterianism to be to be able to follow if they want to. So the first one is what was the old school Presbyterian church? This just comes out of of a debate kind of regarding um, things about the awakening. There was kind of what was called the new school Presbyterian church and the old school Presbyterian church, the old school Presbyterian church. These were the guys who they decided they wanted to really, they were, you, if they were to, if we were to describe them in a word, they would be the traditional ones, confessional. We're going to hold to our distinctives, no matter what the new school in, in the best light were the kinds of people that were wanting to be involved in the, all the new, uh, even evangelization of America involved in the awakenings. And they were willing to lay down certain Presbyterian things in order to make that happen. In fact, they once created what was called the plan of union, which was going to merge the Presbyterian church with congregationalist churches. And so, I mean, they were willing to go very far, farther than probably most people would be willing to today uh, in order to do that. Now, to be frank with all of our listeners, uh, Pastor Michael, I, I won't speak for you, but I would probably be considered an old school Presbyterian if we were to use those kinds of labels today. Yeah, I assume that I would uh, at least much align there, although I I probably would be seen as really soft by a lot of these guys. You know, I just assume. And 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 that's why I'm excited to discuss this precise uh, discussion we are going to talk about because I think Pastor Michael might be on the softer side of the old school, and okay. I can't wait to hear about Here it. Here we go. So eventually, the old school Presbyterian Church and the new school Presbyterian Church divided. They just their their church practices they just could not see how they could possibly continue in fellowship. There were issues of slavery, all kinds of issues that started to make these divisions deeper. And so the old school Presbyterian churches founded in the late 1830s. This includes pretty much all of the Southern Presbyterians um, and a lot of the like really well-known Presbyterians from today, like Charles Hodge and the people who taught at Princeton, right? And so amongst these Presbyterians, we now need to know about one pretty famous Presbyterian doctrine, Jur Divino Presbyterianism, Divine Right Presbyterianism. And I'm going to describe it. I'm going to attempt to describe it in one sentence. And so here we go. <laughs> here we go. I, I imagine that everybody who listens to our podcast has already turned it off. So this is just <laughs> like, this is just you and me talking at this yep. point. <laughs> I know. And, and we're going to get to the point where it literally is just us talking is so divine right. Presbyterianism is the belief that God did not just establish the doctrine we are to believe and teach, but also the system of government that we are supposed to have. Right. And so these Presbyterians are saying that Presbyterians have divine right to rule the church the way they do through presbyteries, through the General Assembly, through essentially what we would call representative church government. And so the the this kind of Presbyterianism is really what's going to come into debate under the under this controversy. And so the church board controversy literally was a debate that happened at a general assembly between two men, um, James Henley Thornwell and Charles Hodge. So Pastor Michael, here we go. Are you ready? I can't wait to know which side of this you would kind of find yourself tending to. So the background of this debate is in the Great Awakening, right? We have these, these missions boards that exist. So the American Society of 
of missionaries. And these were multi-denominational. And of course, this is what the new school wanted. The new school got to the point where they were saying, we should not support the General Assembly's missions funds or boards. We must support the multi-denominational ones. And Charles Hodge originally was very excited about these multi-denominational boards saying, hey, let's work with them. Let's get let on everything we can agree on. Let's get missions done that way as much as we can. He eventually criticized these boards and uh, said we cannot support them because he said they necessarily always start taking the role the church should have, whether that be ordaining ministers, whether, you know, whatever, all the, you can imagine the different kinds of things these church boards are doing. So, it's fascinating, by the way, how many uh, controversies within the history of Presbyterianism just happen around church boards, or or I should say missions boards, yep. uh, with or without the church. So this that's is right. Interesting. It, it is interesting. And there is a, again, if we go into detail, we can even t- describe that the various ways these debates have happened have caused certain things in the PCA book of church order to be written the yep. way they were. That's right. Now, so Hodge, right, has just come off writing against what they call the voluntary association boards, right? He's condemned them. When they found the old school Presbyterian church, they say, we are not going to participate in those boards. We are going to have church boards. So the boards of the church are going to do missions. So the church in its general assembly will appoint people to be on a missions board and we will do missions that way. Charles Hodge goes, we did it. We solved all the issues I had, all the issues of these abuses, all the uh, angst we had. And from the South, a actually, these guys are really similar. They both teach at a seminary. They both found theological journals, right? They're both really wanting to press the history of the Reformation on people is James Hen- Henley Thornwell. Now he's probably not as well known unless you're a Southern Presbyterian. If you're like me and you were in the North or didn't grow up Presbyterian, you never heard of this guy. I, it's true. I did not hear of him until I started to uh, become uh, a member and then later on uh, ordained within the PCA. And I'll say, believe it or not, at my evangelical seminary, didn't do a lot of talking about James Henley Thornwell. Yeah. And, and even at reformed ones, because he was on the Southern side of the civil war. So he's yeah. kind of in general today, he's, he's one of those guys. Yeah. He's, he's one of those guys who's kind of out. And so, he um, comes up and he says basically to Hodge that, that and not to Hodge, he starts saying after he was at a, a some meeting where reports from the boards were given, he writes a few long essays against church boards. He believes they are unbiblical and are a violation of juror divino Presbyterianism. He says Jesus did not institute church boards. Jesus did not tell us to do missions by church boards. And therefore, we should not do missions this way. This is something that is to be done by the church, and we must do it this way. We have a divine mandate to eliminate the boards, and he says, and make them committees, and we can carry on missions that way. And if we don't do that, we will be in violation of who we are as Presbyterians and the word of God. That is his position. This debate gets so kind of kind of strong. Um that it is done in person at the 1860 General Assembly. So, Pastor Michael, what I love about this debate and why I didn't know where you would fall is, so what we have is James Henley Thornwell saying, I am going to live and die, right? He is saying, he doesn't just say, 
Jesus gave us the principles of Presbyterianism. He says the word of God has given us a constitution we must follow in the church. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Just, I love, I love the, uh, the boldness of the old school Southern guys, you know, like they just, they just had a way, you know? And he says, right. Like this is why, by the way, I knew like, so I had not delved very deeply into this, but this is why I knew that you would love this, that we like, and part of it was because I want to know more and I have not had time to research it. So I, I love the idea of you doing this. And he is willing to fight on the level of scripture, on the level of what it means to be Presbyterian over the difference between using a board and a committee. So Charles? can you, can you help me? I mean, so in, in our common language, I don't, because I've not uh-huh. delved deeply into this, oh. well, uh, so this explain is... to me a little bit more of the difference between a board and a committee. So, so I mean, would, would we consider this similar uh, in kind of modern parlance be, being the difference between a committee and a commission? No. Okay. So they, so, so Charles, so one of the reasons it's hard to do that is Charles Hodge. The first response he gets to this is, Hey, uh, these are two, two, just two different words. This isn't a big thing. deal. Interesting. We are, we literally fought these battles to make sure the church was the one doing missions and you are, are losing your mind over nothing. Right. That was, that was kind of the precise way. Now, the problem I think with taking that view is that the old school Presbyterian church had both committees and boards when he was saying Mm, this. So there was at least a formal difference in what he's describing. So if I were to describe the difference and in, in Henley's view, uh, in Thornwell's view, what he would say is a committee is something that a presbytery or even a church, right. Or notably a general assembly says, we need 10 people to orchestrate how to send money to people. Great. Let's call these 10 people. Your job is to send this money to the missionaries, or we need 10 people to study locations of where to send missionaries. You study for 10, find us 10 new locations, come back to us and we'll make the decision. Yep. If we were to have a board, a board is something that, again, the big difference of what they were doing and what was doing is the boards of the voluntary societies were Maybe we just take any experienced missionary, anyone from different, like any kind so it's, of. Cons- it's it is not just uh, right. church leaders. So it's not just ordained so men. In the old school Presbyterian Church, it was, and okay. so what it was was in this case. So that's what Hodge said. We can't do. We can't do it this other way, where it's yep. just anyone. In the old school church, what they said is the pre- the Presbytery is going to, uh, and these boards usually had like a hundred people on it. I mean, they were large, they're very large groups and they would say, it's your job to oversee missions. And so they had one for domestic missions, for foreign missions. Now, notably, one of the things that um, Thornwell really didn't like is because these boards were so large, travel was not easy, right? They could not meet over Zoom. They formed an executive committee who did all the day-to-day work mm, yeah so within the board was a they created their own committee and yes and um the other thing was you could get onto the committee as an honorary lifetime member uh either if you made a large enough gift to the board Ugh. or or Uh-oh. Uh-oh. if you were viewed <laughs> as kind of just making an honorable service now it was unlikely you were ever going to show up to a board meeting or be involved it was kind of just they wanted to kind of give you an emeritus 
sort yeah. of status was but the you goal. can see where that could easily go wrong right so I, i'm sure thornwell saw that and was like whoa 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 so so hodge says this is a circumstance this is how we organize missions don't don't make don't make everything about this and thornwell says make the boards a committee and i won't i will stop hmm. and so that that's kind of the difference. And so what Thorn what does Thornwell say the difference is? Thornwell yeah, Thornwell says that's what, okay. I was just gonna ask, he, wait a minute. I, I'm still not clear on what I they know. both think of the differences. Okay. So Thornwell, so Hodge says there's no difference. We yep. this is don't there's literally nothing for you to worry about. Uh-huh. And even if there is, this is just a circumstance, which of course in the reformed world means a thing indifferent. Just they we have to choose a time to meet, we yep. have to choose a way to send missionaries money. So you don't need, this is us. We are as the church doing this. Don't worry. Yeah. Thornwell says what you've actually done is you've created another society. You have not created an organ, a committee, which is exists to enact an action, a decision you've made or bring you information so you can make a decision. General assembly. What you've done is you've said, we've delegated our work. We've delegated the work of missions from the general assembly to the old school board of pres of of missions they will be the ones primarily making the decisions now they still have to report to the general assembly the general assembly is evidently allowed to advise what they were able to do but they are he says you've created a new society and he says the only missionary society that christ instituted was the church of jesus christ it's the church yeah and every single person is a member of that society and do you want to know? Oh, and because what they would say is, Thornwell, you've shown up and you're going to say, hey, I'm just here to tear down everything we're doing. Like, hey, we, we're doing missions this way. And Thornwell says, I'm burning it all down. And he is open, right? He is, I am planning. He's, he's not being invited to any of the parties, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, he would not have been invited to the parties. He says, I'm going to, yes, I want to get rid of that. And they go, so you're saying you're willing to be totally impractical about all these issues. And he says, yes, because do you know, I know a church that once thrived a church that benefited nothing from the world that was hated by the world that was persecuted by the world. Do you know how that church was victorious? Not because of its boards, not because of the money it was able to organize appropriately, but because of its faith. And so faith is simply holding to the divine principles of our church government above all else, no matter what you think looks effective. And so pastor Michael, there's, a ton more detail. Yeah, right. There's yeah, so much. I know. There's totally so much busy. more detail. I haven't gotten to read your paper, by the way, yet, but I do have it pulled up, and I do intend to read it when I don't have such a crazy week. But, but, but here is the. Here are the. If I were to say it in the broadest strokes, in a way that would be most accessible to our name. Now, just so our uh, everyone knows, if you're not a Presbyterian, just so all two of you that have stayed still, with us to this point, who are Presbyterian, uh, Charles Hodge called himself a divine right Presbyterian. He was not against that. Right. Now he would have said the principles and he's saying this, this guy's saying down to the detail, right? And he's, yeah. and of course Hodge is right later in the argument. He's going to say, this guy's going to eliminate every seminary that exists, right? There is no, he's like, is he this guy going to tell me that the form of discipline, our book of church order is found in detail in the scripture, right? That, that, right. They're going to advance those arguments against him. But at the end of the day, if I'm going to put it in the broadest strokes is Thornwell says, I will die on principle. Now, is he applying that principle correctly? So, right, there's a few responses to him. One, you're not applying 
the principle correctly. But as time goes on, the reason this debate became interesting and I wrote about it is because the second half of this debate, all the debate, it isn't even about boards anymore. It's not, it's not dealing with those questions. He and Hodge start debating, so what is the church? What is Presbyterianism? What is the divine right? And at the end, they believe they've located their difference. And, and, and Hodge says, just the principles of Presbyterianism are found in the scripture, and we work those out. And Thornwell says, we need a thus says the Lord for everything we do as the church. And if we don't have it, we don't do it. Now, so the question becomes, Pastor Michael, I think what we, I would, again, the broad stroke I would use is this practicality. We actually have to have a way of getting missions done. Yep. And the, I will die. I will die on this hill. I will die on, I will die on the hill of a distinction between a church board and a committee and a church committee. (laughs) So Pastor Michael, who do you feel sympathetic to in this debate? Um, Wow. Yeah. So it's actually the, as far as deep as we've gotten into it anyway, yep. and we'll see if I read your paper and I, I change my mind. Yep. We can um, come back to it. If people, if, if all two of you are, are crying out for more. Yeah. This. Yeah. If you want more, come on. <laughs> uh, I don't know that I feel, I, I feel sympathy both ways. I feel mm. sympathy both ways for, for different things. Right. So I see uh, what Thornwell is getting at, right? The, the potential dangers for this. And I also see why he wants to like do this because he does want to maintain, it seems, the locus of authority as being in the actual courts of the church. And the danger of using, uh, even just using language, but also just the practice that comes with, you know, uh, a certain ideas of what exactly a board is or committee or those sorts of things. And I'm still not clear on where exactly the difference between the two is. Uh, on that, but, but it does matter, right? It does matter how you define these things and how you work them out because it, it does matter that, uh, the, the work of the mission of the church is done by the church and it's not done by a select group from within the church necessarily, but it's done by the representative courts of the church. I think that that matters. So I, I do feel sympathy in that regard. I also feel some sympathy toward Hodge. If the debate becomes, we need that thus saith the Lord for every little detail. I don't know that you can get there, right? Like I'm not, I'm not convinced yet anyway. And this is why I want to do more detail about it. I'm willing to be convinced, uh, but I'm not willing to, I, I, I am not at this point convinced yet that there is a thus says the Lord for every detail of Presbyterianism. As a general principle, I think it's obviously there actually. Like representative government, I think is obviously uh, the, the way that God has chosen to work in his church and indeed uh, throughout most of the history of his church, the primary way that he seems to work and operate. Uh, Everything being done, obviously, under the lordship of Christ. But I I don't see how you can get every one of these details down to a T, like this is this is the clear and obvious. And Uh, and and, and Thornwell, just so our Presbyterian our Southern Presbyterian friends, the three of them listening don't lose their (laughs) minds, right? He says we get down to a T on everything but circumstance. All the circumstances are up for grabs. Right. Yeah. So so, the question is what is circumstance and what is like there there is there is difficulty in that. And that's again, that is for our if we ever do the in the weeds version of this, which you and I probably will do privately, but if we ever record it is but what I want for you to answer that this is because this is just more broad is 
does impracticality ever become like a principle in itself? Does the like fact that do you do you find it is it valid that is there some validity to Hodge Smith and these others saying we need to actually we need to actually have things that can actually do these things? Is that is that ever like a is that ever a is there is there a principle of practical like is that ever a, is that does that belong do you because that's that's one of the things when you read this you I think eventually have to confront because yeah. because for the Thornwell the answer is no right like he doesn't care if they'd collect two dollars for missions and not send us another person yep because he would say that's a spiritual problem yep and you can't fix that with organization and yeah. I'm like oh yeah. <laughs> right yeah, no so i so this is where i say like i feel like i have sympathies both ways sure um I, and i don't know where i would draw the line on that i cannot think of a like of a direct biblical example where the impracticality of something or the, the fact that we can't get as much done is a vert like that makes it virtuous to do whatever you know it doesn't sure. I, that i don't i don't see that maybe i could think of you know uh where you know, uh, you have the, you know, appointing of elders under Moses, you know, uh, as kind of an example where Jethro does say like, this is going to burn you out. This is not going to go well. You need to distribute this. Um, but even that, that would be like trying to make, uh, an argument like that's implicit maybe in the text, but there's nothing explicit that I can personally think of right this minute, uh, when it comes to how the church is to be governed, uh, that is, and, and at the same time, I'm also thinking about how, like, the nature of, like, the modern world, which was already beginning, like, you know, uh, the modern industrial, the modern industrialized world is one where efficiency and getting the numbers up there is of the most importance, and actually doing things according to the revelation of God, whether that be in scripture or in nature, is not seen as important. If we can force our way into bigger numbers, that's more important. Like that's always more important. And so that is a particular idol of our day. It really is. And it still is. Um, so I thought about this. I went to a, this uh, event where uh, Dr. Alan Carlson uh, came, a guy, he's uh, you know, been a professor at Hillsdale and other places, um, talks a lot about kind of pre, the pre-industrial household. And he talked about how the Amish, uh, they are oftentimes they're, they're misunderstood. A lot of times they're able to use certain technologies, even those that, you know, a lot of people don't think they can. Um, and I promise I'm getting to a point that actually connects to what we're talking about. <laughs> it's like, Hey, if we didn't lose you with the church board controversy, <laughs> let me talk about the Amish and what they do. Yep. Um, no, but, uh, so like they can use certain technologies that, you know, maybe make things more efficient or help them in various ways. Um, but, uh, and a lot of times that's up to like the local bishop or, or whoever's over the spiritual leader over them. And there's a lot of legalism and problems in the Amish community. I'm not saying that the Amish are like this idyllic community or anything like that. However, there are things like, uh, you know, at least some Amish communities have decided that they are not going to use, uh, an automatic arm that tosses hay bales into the hay wagon. Mm. And their reasoning for that was not that it's more efficient to do it another way, which is the only reasoning that would be used by most industrialized farming. Uh, the, the reasoning was, well, that's a boy's job. Like a boy's job 
is mm. to like throw the hay bales. And if you add a mechanical process to do that, even if it's faster, what is the boy going to do? All of a sudden you've removed him from the process. Uh, and what it does is it actually over time, like that, that is just one example of a way that industrialized living and machinery and the industrialization of the workforce and the household has in many ways disenfranchised people from, from community, from working together, from all kinds of things. Uh, and, and we could go into detail about that sometime, although it's a little far afield for Restless. <laughs> but I do think it matters in this regard that the primary, uh, I, I shouldn't say the primary, one of the primary idols of our day is efficiency and it's numbers. It's like getting the big numbers up there. And that comes from this kind of industrialized mindset. But there are ways that you can be less efficient, but more consistent with the way God has made the world. Mm. And, and so when I'm thinking about the church boards now, and when I'm thinking about this debate, uh, I'm thinking, okay, is there a way in which we have sacrificed the, uh, you know, the, the more faithful way of doing things on the altar of practicality and on the altar of like, this is more efficient. It gets more people into the mission field, which seems to us to be good, right? We are sincere in wanting that to be good. But is that actually long-term a good, or is that a problem spiritually that if not corrected will actually cause more damage than good? And I don't know what to answer that with, except to say, it's a good question. <laughs> Great question, Matt. <laughs> Stay tuned if Restless ever gets this Presbyterian again. So like we said, if you want more of this, you got to let us know because we're not going to just... <laughs> <laughs> this is not going to come up all the time. Go find our friends at the PresbyCast for more things like this. Join us tomorrow for even more Restless.